Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back with us this week. We're ready with a few questions that uh, you've given us. We've prepared some answers for them and we need some more questions. Uh, we always, well, actually, we're always a little bit behind on uh, keeping up with questions, but we always like new ones, and it's amazing how many new ones we do get, even after 20-some years of answering questions uh, every week. We get something new and different. Somebody's thought of a different way to look at something or found something that they don't understand, and we are happy to try to think through it and give you an answer from the Bible. Uh, there's a phone number and a website on your screen at the bottom there. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us uh, during the program. There will be an operator to answer your phone calls. and uh, Other times there will be an answering machine to take your questions. And uh, we're happy to let you tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. That's our practice here. Let me introduce you to my partner, Toby Levering. Hi, Toby. Hello, Steve. Toby's back and ready to go. Got some uh, good answers for you today, I bet. But we always give you one first. So the viewer's question today is, what businesswoman in the Bible sold purple cloth? Businesswoman, I'll give you a clue. She's in the New Testament. So as much help as I'll give you, and we'll give you the answer at the end of the program, see if you know uh, the seller of purple. All right, you drew the first one today, Toby, so yep. tell us what, what they're after. The viewer wants to know about church, and they okay. ask, is it true that I won't go to heaven if I don't go to church? All right, well, i got to be theologically correct here. First of all, church is not a place. It is a people. And uh, usually you hear that phrase, go to church, and we're talking about you know, go into a particular building or location and meeting with a group of people for worship, for fellowship, uh, for all sorts of uh, Christian life uh, ministry programs and things like that. And this viewer wants to know, well, if I'm not participating in that, if I'm not a part of that, uh, will I be in heaven? Well, that the way I'm going to answer that is you can't be in heaven if you aren't the church. Uh, there's the only people that are redeemed are the body of Christ. Now that's uh, that's not talking about a building. We, usually, when we think church, we think building. And in the original word, uh, the original language, the, the word that we translate church was ecclesia, and that word simply meant the group of people who are called out. And sometimes they met in the temple courts, and sometimes they met in their homes. They met in many different places, and they took many different forms and shapes and all different church sizes and areas, uh, but it was the body of Christ. And so my answer to that is you need to be a part of the body of Christ. Now, how, how you get into the body of Christ, faith, repentance, baptism, 
when you're in the body of Christ, you've got to be a part of the body of Christ. That means you have to use your gifts and participate and worship. Uh, Acts chapter 2 is a wonderful picture of the things that the church did together. About verse 42 talks about how they met together and they prayed and they, they t uh, studied the apostles' teaching and so forth. You can look that verse up. But uh, you need to be, yes, a part of that. Uh, Christianity is not meant to be a solo uh, journey uh, where uh, you just uh, have some people say, well, I'm just a personal, private, spiritual person. Well, the church will help you get better. The church will help you grow. They help help you learn things you didn't know. Uh, you will grow up in Christ as a active participant in the body. So let me encourage you to do that. Now, let's not be quick to be legalistic here. Some people get overly focused on the number of times you're there and checking off the attendance roll and all that. And that's that's not what God's concerned about either. If you're someone who's shut in, if you're sick, if you've got problems, I know there are lots of people who stop me on the street and say, you know, we watch a program all the time, can't get out of the house, health problems. Certainly understand that. You can still, however, be a part of the body of Christ. And with technology today, being able to worship online, you can uh, participate in so many things without physically going to a place. So be an active, participating part of the body of Christ. And that's what's necessary to go to heaven uh, once you're in Christ. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, 27 together, where Paul writes, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So take that, take that part, take your part in the body of Christ seriously. Alrighty. Uh, I always think when I get that question or, or see it, the comeback question ought to be before you can really answer it is, do you mean you can't be in church or do you mean you don't want to be right. in church? Yep, exactly. To me, there's the big difference. Mm -hmm. We've mm -hmm. got thousands of viewers that yep. can't be in church yep. and they'd love to be in church. Yep. Uh, and sometimes when we answer a question like that, they'll... Yep write in or call in and say, is God going to blame me? Is God going <laughs> to hold me to blame because I have this disease and I can't get to church and all that? Yeah. Uh, no, that's not the thing. <laughs> if you want to be there and can't, that's one thing. If you don't even want to be, then you've got another problem. Well, uh, and, and because church is not restricted to a place, I mean, if you're a Christian, I mean, if you, I mean, even if it's just you're the only one, but if, especially if you can find other Christians, I remember your dad, uh, when he was in the nursing home later in his life, uh, he did Bible studies and there at the, the uh, uh, assisted care facility he was at, he was being a part of the church, you yep. know, he was, he was being church where he was. Yep. So, people that get uh, soldiers get shipped yep. to mm -hmm. uh, yep. Iran or, somewhere, or Iraq and they yep. can't meet with the church right, that right. they're familiar with. Right. Uh, they can find some other Christians maybe and yep. do something together. So uh, to me the, the question really hinges on are you asking because you don't want to be yep. <laughs> or that you can't. So <laughs> That's a good uh, point. if you don't want to be then you don't understand church. Yep. Uh, we're supposed to get together with church because it's good for us yep. and we can help other people. So a whole other topic. But uh, Yeah, the Hebrew writer one, says, let us continue to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And that's, that's what the meeting together is all about. Okay. Uh, all right, we got a little off track there, but sure. that's, that's, okay. all, that's all good <laughs> stuff. Let's get here, literal here. Viewer wants to know, how do you know when not to take something literally, like pluck your eye out? Well, we do say that every once in a while. This verse is not to be taken literally. And this viewer said, well, how do you know that? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, the, the verse he mentioned there uh, is about 
Jesus said, if your eye offends you, uh, pluck it out. You know, if your hand offends you, cut it off. It'd be better to go to heaven maimed than to go to hell with everything. Uh, now, to me, that's a pretty obvious one uh, because you just keep thinking, if my eye offends me, I have a problem looking at the wrong kind of thing or lusting or something. Well, I, okay, I'll pluck my right eye out. Well, guess what had happened? My left eye would keep looking. <laughs> so that didn't solve the problem. Uh, it, it's over-the-top illustration. It's hyperbole. Uh, and I think most figurative things in the Bible are like that. Uh, they're pretty easy to recognize. It's just common sense. Well, Jesus couldn't have meant that you're supposed to pluck your eye out. Uh, it would disagree with other principles. I think that's a good test. Uh, is whether what he says, if you take it literally, would disagree with other passages or other principles. Uh, for instance, plucking your eye out, cutting your hand off. Uh, that doesn't go too well with the body is the temple of God and you're supposed to take care of it and those kind of things. Uh, so most of them are obvious. Probably of all the figurative language in the Bible, uh, most of it is very, very clear. And there are just a few that we have to worry about that we, I don't know. Well, in that case, I think the answer is you've got to study. Uh, it takes a little bit of work. And I picked a verse out to put on the screen, Second uh, Timothy 2.15. Uh, Paul told Timothy, you do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. All right. How do you know when one of those complicated, tricky verses is figurative or literal? Uh, you got to work at it sometimes. You got to study other scriptures and read some commentaries and look at the original language. I don't think there's very many of those in there. Uh, but if there are, then you got to work at it. And I think that's the answer, unfortunately. Uh, it takes a little bit of effort. So uh, most of them, what I'm saying, is are just common sense. You look at it and say, ah, it couldn't be literal. And then some of them that you have to work on a little bit, you can figure them out if you do a little bit of study. So hope that helps on literal and figurative kind of things. Okay, uh, good answer. I have a question on marriage. And the viewer asks, why do you have to have a marriage license to be married in the eyes of the government? Well, my simple answer is kind of like what I tell my children when they ask, why do we have to do this or that? Uh, sometimes I'll just say, you know, because I said so. And because I'm your dad and God gave me that responsibility, I'm in charge of you. And that's the ruling I made. And someday you'll grow up and get married and you'll become a dad someday or a, or a mother someday. And and uh, you'll get to make those decisions. Well, I think marriage, as, uh, as each government uh, within the state, is going to deal with uh, government uh, marriage licenses a little bit differently. Uh, we know this when we perform weddings. Uh, if you, you know, some states have no requirements for officiants. Anyone can do it. Some uh, states have a, a list of things you got to do and uh, papers you got to have and books you got to be in and all of that. So uh, that's just up to those governments, and that's because they said so, and God's given them that authority. Uh, marriage is a covenant. 
Uh, we remember, we know that it's a spiritual covenant because God's, you know, have been part of a Christian wedding ceremony. We're invoking the name of God. We're asking to bless this new family. Uh, we're going back all the way to beginning. But marriage is also a legal covenant, and so governments have to uh, deal with how they establish uh, a covenant. A uh, covenant is a, basically a legal agreement between two parties. So in the eyes of the government, uh, it's two people who are now linked together. And, of course, that's true in God's eyes. And uh, the God, God's, in God's eyes, it's not requiring a license. But we, as Christians, we want to uh, abide by the requirements and the laws and the uh, uh, expectations of those in authority. Whatever they say is what we need to do. So uh, as far as marriage goes, God made it to be one man and one woman for one lifetime. And that's his expectation. And uh, that's what kind of covenant we ought to enter into uh, regardless of the licensing requirements. Let's look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6 together. Jesus said, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. And said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so that is my answer. And sometimes governments get to decide things different ways. got to have that for <laughs> all hope. kinds of uh, legal things, who yep. gets the inheritance, yep. who pays the taxes, and yep. they need it for something, so they, <laughs> they regulate it. Probably over-regulate it, but they do. All right, let's uh, talk about a good way to study the Bible. We uh, study a little bit every week, 30 minutes of a few questions, and we hope that's helpful and hope that interests you in Bible study. Uh, but there's a whole lot more in the Bible than we'll get to in 30 minutes. So we advocate some home Bible study. We think it's good for us. We think it's the best thing we can do with our time at home. Uh, and we've got some materials that we're happy to send you and help you in that. Uh, you can sit down and read through the Bible. You can sit down and uh, read different books and learn a whole lot. But if you've got an organized way to go through it, uh, maybe it'll help you retain some of that information and learn a little bit more. Uh, we've got a course here on the screen that we'll send you. There are eight lessons in it. A good basic Christian study of the Bible. No denomination uh, or any doctrines that man has made up. It's just here's what's in the Bible. It starts with the Old and the New Testament. A uh, good way to learn about your foundational part of the Bible and the two divisions and what that means. Uh, and from our experience on the program, that'll answer a lot of your questions that we get uh, if you just understand the difference between the Old and the New Testament. So uh, this course will help you do that. Once you get done with this course, we've got some more advanced courses that are great ways to get into more detail and learn a whole lot more about the Bible. Uh, we got a whole lot of folks that have told us over the years how much they learn and how much they appreciate it and uh, go through all of our courses and wish we had more. <laughs> uh, so it's a good way to study the Bible. Phone number, website are on the screen. Use those anytime. Tell us you'd like that free course. Uh, we'll get it to you. And it won't cost you a penny. You won't get put on a mailing list. We'll never bother you in any way. Uh, you can stop or start anytime you want. Uh, if you get into it and get distracted by uh, a health problem or something like that, we're not going to bother you. So uh, it's up to you how fast you study the Bible, but we'll send you the tools and we know you'll enjoy it. 
All right, question about faith. The uh, viewer says, how do you know when you have faith? I believe in God and Jesus, but I don't feel like I have faith. All right, there's the spirit of this age. Is we, we've got to feel everything, and faith is not a feeling. Uh, yes, but feeling does come after faith, but faith is a decision. Uh, faith is a, uh, a mental assent to something and then doing something about it. And so maybe that's the clue that this viewer needs is instead of wanting to feel like it, uh, maybe there's some concrete things that God has asked us to do to help us see if we have faith. Let me give you an example. Uh, Matthew 8, 10 is a good verse to read when we're talking about faith. And let's just read the verse and then we'll explain what it means. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. All right, Jesus ran into somebody that had great faith. All right, so all we got to do is read the context. Go back a couple verses, see what Jesus is talking about, and we'll have a clue about what faith is and how we can know if we have faith. Jesus saw faith. He recognized it. He said, this guy's got great faith. All right, let's find out who. We go back a couple of verses, uh, verses 8 and 9, before that verse 10. It was a centurion who had a sick servant. His servant was dying, and he went to Jesus. The centurion went to Jesus and said, uh, well, we need to go back a couple more verses. He asked Jesus, if he would heal his servant. And Jesus said, yeah, let's go. He said, I'll go to your house and I'll heal him. Listen to what the centurion said. Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word. My servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. So the centurion says, you don't have to come to my house. You're the Lord. All you got to do is tell that sickness to leave, and it'll leave. And Jesus said, this guy's got great faith. Okay, I've never seen faith like this. Okay, What was the deal? The centurion didn't feel like he had great faith, maybe, but he did something that showed he had great faith. He trusted Jesus enough to go to him, ask him to heal his servant, and then go beyond that and say, you don't even have to come to the house. I, I, I believe you've got that kind of power. Okay, he did that. Okay, I think that's the clue you need. If you want to know if you have faith, have you done the things Jesus said to do? Have you done the thing God says you to do, told you, tells you to do? Do you trust him? Okay, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith. Well, we call it the Hall of Faith. Uh, it's a list of great people throughout the Bible that were credited for their faith, recognized for their faith. Now you read through there and you'll see a pattern. Every one of them, it says he had great faith because he did this. Okay? First one of the first ones in the list is Abram. It, God told him, I want you to leave your country, leave your home, give up everything, and go somewhere. Well, where do you want me to go, God? Well, I'll tell you when you get there. <laughs> well, how far is it? I'll tell you to stop when you get there. It, I mean, that's an amazing thing to think about. But Abram did it. 
So Hebrews 11 says, Abram was credited for his faith because he left Ur when God told him to. Okay? He did something. Okay? When we see what he did based on what God told him, we say that's faith. So I think that's the answer. We don't feel faith. Now, once you've done it, once God has rewarded you, once you see the blessings and all, yes, you feel good. And the feelings will come, but faith has got to be in front. Uh, faith is the important part there, and you'll know you have faith if you do what Jesus says. Uh, what if Abram would have said, nope, I'm not leaving home. I got it good here. Uh, I don't trust you to lead me to a good place. Well, he wouldn't have had faith. But we wouldn't know that because Abram felt good about it. We'd know because he didn't do what God said. Okay. So hopefully that helps. That's the answer. Uh, when God tells us to do something, we know we have faith if we've obeyed. And same thing true in, in life. Yeah. Uh, you, you know if your kids yeah. trust you yeah. uh, when they do what they say. Yep. All right. Yeah, there, there are many times when, uh, when you don't feel like doing what God <laughs> calls you to do, but when you do it, uh, that's faith, and then, then the feeling usually follows that. But All right. Let's, uh, let's go to the next question here. A viewer says, the conversations at work almost always turn to inappropriate topics. When you don't participate, you are looked down on. Do you have any sound biblical advice? Well, I have some sound biblical principles I think I can give you. The advice will kind of depend on the person asking. Um, there's a lot of things that I don't know. Part of it is I don't know the, your role there at uh, the place of where you work. I mean, I don't know if you're the owner, the boss, the manager, uh, if, you've, uh, if you've an employee that's been there a long time, a very new employee or a temporary worker. Uh, uh, your position in the company uh, makes a difference as to how you handle those things and maybe the, the wisdom that you use in handling it. Uh, and uh, so take these and apply them to your specific situation um, and remember that you know, as we are in Christ, we're called to act with wisdom and that means thinking about what we do and how we do it. Uh, so I'm going to give you four scriptural principles. These are not going to be on the screen. I'll just give you the Bible verse and you can look it up or follow along in your Bible. Number one, pray for wisdom and pray for the right answer. Uh, God knows what situations you're going to face, those conversations around the water cooler, so, so to speak. Um, and he, he knows how you could best answer them. Uh, he knows the personalities, the people who will be around that water cooler. And uh, he'll know uh, just the right way. And I believe he can help your heart uh, act in the right way. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, submit your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You can have a peace about going to work if you just, five minutes before you go in, sit in your car and say a prayer for the day to come. I think that will help you tremendously and give you peace. Number two, uh, follow Christ's example. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul said, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And you may not feel like you can influence those people who are talking inappropriately, but I guarantee you there are other people at your workplace that are offended, just as you are, about the inappropriate conversation. And when they see you not participating, and when they see you uh, setting a different kind of example, a more Christ-like example, 
uh, they will appreciate that. And they might even say something to you about it and you didn't know they were watching. Number three, be wise in your ways and your words. Colossians 4 verses 5 and 6, Paul writes, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I think Christians ought to talk differently. And that doesn't just mean not saying bad words and not participating in bad jokes. But your speech ought to convey something a little bit different. Um, earlier this week, I, uh, someone in our congregation shared a story about he was going to work and he was doing his job and he was waiting there and a bunch of other people who were in a similar industry, they were all talking. And they were, I don't think they were doing anything inappropriate, but they just started complaining about their job and they didn't get paid enough and they weren't appreciated and on and on it went. And, and uh, he, this gentleman re remained pretty silent and just kind of had a smile on his face. And they said, well, what about you? You're not saying anything. And he said, well, you know, I just, I, I feel I have nothing to complain about. I just, uh, I'm blessed to have a job. I'm blessed to work for a wonderful boss. And he just started listing all the wonderful blessings he had in his life. And you know what happened? Those people said, you know, as we think about it, you're right. We have lots of things to be thankful for as well. And started focusing on the positive instead of the negative. And that's Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Be wise in the way you talk and in the way you act. <clears throat> Number four, and this is probably a big one, Proverbs 13, 20 says, uh, uh, Avoid foolish people. Uh, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. And you can quickly see who the foolish people are on the job site. Avoid those people and you'll do well. Uh, Ephesians 5, 3, and 4 is the verse we have on the screen. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jokes, go, joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Great question, and I hope it helps a lot of Christians struggle with how to be a good influence on the job. All right, let's do one more. Is the Bible for or against reincarnation? Well, you can get a concordance, which lists every word in the Bible. Look up reincarnation. You won't find it. It's not in there. So you could say, well, I guess the Bible's neutral. Doesn't talk about it. Doesn't mention the word. But take the concept. The concept of reincarnation is that a man dies and then gets recycled into some other form. Uh, maybe another man, maybe a beast or a fly or something, and then dies and gets recycled and comes back and lives again as something else and hopefully you keep moving up the chain. I think if I understand the the doctrine well you get higher and higher. I don't know. But anyhow that's the doctrine is you die and die and you die and you die. Uh, Hebrews 9.27, let's look at that. It is appointed unto man once to die. After this the judgment. I'd say the Bible's against reincarnation. <laughs> Don't think it goes for reincarnation. All right, let me close the program by inviting you to visit a Church of Christ near you sometime. We're supported by the Churches of Christ. I'd like to mention a few each week. Uh, today the church is in central Kansas here, Sylvia and Wellington. Both have fine groups of Christians meeting together. The one down in Wellington, uh, preacher there is Michael Nelson, great guy. I'm sure you'd enjoy hearing him teach the Word of God and a great bunch of folks there in Wellington and Sylvia too. If you live in one of those communities or anywhere close, uh, even if you're happy in your church home, uh, tell them that you want to know your Bible. You appreciate them providing the program for you and keeping us on the air. Uh, wherever you uh, are watching, whatever market you're in of Know Your Bible, 
probably a Church of Christ near you. Uh, drop in and visit them sometime, especially if you're looking for a church home. Uh, you'd find a group of people that uh, would warmly welcome you. Let's get our trivia question answered today before we quit. What businesswoman sold purple cloth? Well, that's Lydia. You can read about her in the book of Acts. Lydia was a businesswoman, met Paul on the riverbanks, and uh, sold purple cloth. So she was a successful woman. We're glad you've been with us today. We're out of time for questions, but we're going to come back next week, try to answer any more that you have, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Until then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.